Kelly and I spent 14 years in college ministry before we came here. And during those 14 years, I think we took 10 or 12 ski trips. Now, when we would take our college students skiing, what we would do is usually we'd go at Christmas. Finals would get done, and we just asked the students, when do you want to go? And so as soon as finals were over, we would load up. We'd go skiing for three days. We'd get home before Christmas, so they could be home for Christmas, drive home, and then they'd have their entire Christmas break. Now, those trips were usually pretty brutal. Let me explain. To save college students money, because that's all they seem to be concerned about, is we don't have any money. We want to go skiing, but we don't have any money. We would drive through the night to get there, arrive just in time to get our ski rentals, Ski the entire day. And so when we hit the motel that first night, we're tired. We'd get up day two and ski. And then we'd go sleep at the motel. Day three, we'd get up and ski. Get rid of the equipment and drive through the night to get home. So if you're doing the math, that's three days of skiing and two nights of driving. Most of the time for me and Kelly. So those trips were pretty brutal. But those were such fun times. We... We usually borrowed vehicles from members of the congregation, borrowed their vans. It's a whole other story about that busted oil pan and the busted gas tank, and we got all that fixed. But most of the trips were brutal because of lack of sleep. And so on one particular trip, early on, one of our early trips, the tension got to the students, which means they were griping and fussing and complaining. And there's about an 85-mile strip between Clayton, New Mexico and Raton, New Mexico of you and God. If you've ever been on that highway, I think it's Highway 87, there's not much going on. The long and winding road, to quote the Beatles, there, there was nothing. And so they'd been griping the whole trip and just been griping and fussing and griping and complaining and I had enough. I was tired. I was tired of listening to it. So I pulled over halfway between that stretch and said, all right, just... Let's just get it out. Just tell me everything you want to say. So put yourself in the shoes of a college student. Take yourself back to college days. And here's what they told me. They said, what gives you the right? Okay, that's what they're telling me. What gives you the right to tell us what music we're going to listen to in the vehicle? What gives you the right to tell us when our curfew is? What gives you the right to tell us when we need to get off the mountain and meet you at the van? What gives you the right to tell us, and they just keep filling in the blanks? I mean, we're adults. We're college students. We know when to go to bed. We know when to get off the mountain. What gives you the right? I thought, wow. So I looked at Kelly. She looked at me. We were thinking the same thing. We thought this would be a good time to pray, so we had everybody get out of the van, and when all the college students got out of the van, we drove off. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm going to come back to that story. What gives you the ride? That seems to be the motto of a lot of people. That seems to be the motto of Americans. In fact, if I was to say what's our motto, our motto is question authority. You look around and we participate in, we question authority. We think it's our right to question authority. 
Who put you in charge? Who gave you jurisdiction? Who gave you the authority? You're not the boss of me. You're not going to tell me what to do. What gives you the right? We're surrounded with that. And I'm afraid we sometimes participate in that as Christians. We question authority. We believe it's our right to question authority. And so children these days seem to constantly question the authority of their parents. And we question the authority of the police. And we question the authority of teachers. And we question the authority of bosses. In fact, we question the authority. The the President of the United States no longer has the clout he once had because we constantly question authority. Question authority. We live in a talk-back, fight-back, I'll-sue-you-if-you-do society Because we bow up against authority. Now, what does that have to do with our study in the Gospel of Mark? We started a a series in the Gospel of Mark. There's four Gospels, if you're not familiar with the Bible. When you get to the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called Gospels. They simply tell the Gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And you've been hearing me say that word Gospel, it's not a Bible word. Originally, Rome used that word a lot because when they would conquer more territory, when they would gain more territory, when they'd win another victory, they'd send out the gospel. They'd send out the good news. We've gained more territory. You can go to more places. We've expanded the parameters of the Roman Empire. In fact, they found an inscription. I like to keep telling you this. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. So that wasn't a Bible word. This is the good news about Caesar Augustus. And along comes Mark and other gospel writers. And Mark says, no, let me tell you something. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. Not Rome, not the Roman Empire. And he's living in this time. During the time of the Roman Empire expanding, he said, hey, the the Roman Empire, that's not good news. I got good news for you. The good news is that The kingdom of Jesus is expanding, and Jesus, this is a victory announcement about Jesus, not about Rome. So, this word gospel, it's more than just information. Gospel means life-changing. So when Rome would gain more territory, that was life-changing because people could travel further within the Roman Empire. This is life-changing to Christians. This good news about Jesus means our lives are about to change when we submit to the authority of Jesus. And Mark wants us to know in our passages today, in our text today, the good news is that Jesus has the right, Jesus has the authority over our lives. And we need to recognize that authority, and we need to submit to that authority. And yet, even with the authority of Jesus as Christians, we bow up. You know, the call of Jesus is not to be moral people. The call of Jesus is not to behave better than our neighbors. The call of Jesus is to trust Him and to submit to His authority. So that whatever it is He tells us to do, we say, All right, I'll do that. And we have trouble with that. Because that's our human nature. We don't like submitting to anyone. So let me show you some passages today in Mark 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left. And they followed him. And if you were a bystander, you might be tempted to say, well, what gives you the right to call people? What gives you the right to say, hey, drop everything you're doing, drop your jobs, leave everything? What gives you the right to call people to follow you? 
And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. If you keep reading, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue. That's kind of the, the church setting of the day. Jesus went into the synagogue, and the people were amazed at His teaching because He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, if you were one of the teachers of the law, you might be a little offended. But Jesus taught as the authority. And if, if you grab the first part of that word authority, it's the word author. Jesus is the author. Maybe that's why the Hebrew writer says that He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the originator. He's the one who wrote the book. So the one who wrote the book ought to have the authority over what's said in the book. And Mark comes along and says, look, Jesus spoke as one who had authority. They recognized His authority in the words He said and how He said that. And it's kind of interesting, you know, the teachers of the law, when they were up teaching, they usually quoted Moses or the prophets or an Old Testament scripture. What other choice did they have? They didn't have original material. What I'm quoting to you today is not original material. This is from the Bible. But when Jesus spoke, He didn't quote anybody. Because He's the author. He's the authority. I mean, He's the original source. And along comes Jesus, and they recognize His authority. And then we keep reading, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't that interesting? The first person in the book of Mark to recognize the authority of Jesus, to confess the authority of Jesus, to submit to the authority of Jesus is a demon-possessed guy. At church, he's not afraid of religion. He's not afraid of being in the synagogue. But he's afraid of Jesus. Don't destroy us. Jesus says, be quiet. Be muzzled. When we get to Mark chapter 4 and Jesus calms the storm, that's exactly the same word. Be quiet. Be muzzled. Same word. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. What I find interesting is he didn't teach anything here. He illustrated. But they said, wow, check this out. Some, this guy's got authority. They recognized his authority. The demon recognized his authority. The demon said, I know who you are. And then we keep reading. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Can, can you imagine going to a clinic with all the sick people and throw in some demon-possessed people? When you're around sick people, they sometimes moan and groan and make a lot of noise. You're around demon-possessed people. They're moaning and groaning because of the demons. in. This was a loud, powerful scene. And Jesus exercises His authority over sickness. So Jesus has exercised His authority over people and said, Look, I want you to follow me. And Jesus exercises His authority over the demons and says, You need to get out of that guy. And Jesus exercises His authority over in sickness and He heals people. Who is this guy? Mark said, Well, that's, that's the good news. The good news about Jesus Christ, He has authority over people and demons and sickness. And the good news is He has authority over everything. What right does Jesus have to call people to follow Him? What right does Jesus have 
to tell these demons to get out of these people? What right does Jesus have to tell sickness to leave bodies? Well, He's the authority. Our scripture reading today, everything was created through Him, by Him, in Him. God gave Him the authority to do that. When Jesus left the earth, He said, All authority has been given to me, not just in heaven but on earth. He is the authority. So if He is the authority, we ought to at least be like the demons and recognize who He is. I know who you are. But I have to ask you today, at this point in your life, do do you know who Jesus is? But then I have to ask you if the answer is yes, do you recognize His authority? And then after asking you that question, do you recognize His authority in your life? Because things ought to be changing if you recognize the authority in His life. There's got to come a point in your life. There needs to come a point in your life. There's got to be a point in all of our lives that we stop rebelling against authority. I mean, we bow up against everything. We rebel against everything. When the Constitution was ratified in 1789, many people were afraid, well, you know, it it didn't cover all of our rights. So ten amendments were added in 1791 called the Bill of Rights because we want our rights. I mean, you just mentioned guns in East East Texas. I've got a right. And we're so interested in our rights. And I'm all for rights. But we seem to get a little bent out of shape when it comes to rights. We love the Declaration of Independence that says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. And we're like, that's right. That's us. I want my rights. It's the right of the people to alter or abolish things. When we go out to think, eat, we think, well, i got a right to... Get some good food. I've got a right for good service. With what I'm paying, I've got a right. When we enroll in an institution for learning, think I've got a right to a good education. I've got a right to good teachers. And we want a right to a fair trial. And we've got a right to be protected. And we live in a right society. So don't violate my rights. Well, how does that mesh with being a Christian and following Jesus? You know, as Christians, we even sometimes think we have the right to what we want. And along comes Mark to tell us the good news about Jesus. And if you read the good news in Matthew, Matthew writes in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, immediately we're thinking, i got a right to deck him. Jesus says, yeah, you give up that right and you turn the other cheek. You're like, What? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, you're like, i got the right to my own attorney. I'll sue you back. And Jesus says, no, just give him your cloak as well. And you're like, but Jesus, I have a right. Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, which the Roman army had every right to have you carry their armor for one mile, Jesus says, go a second mile. And you're like, what? That's not even my right. I don't have to do it. I'm not doing any more than I have to. And Jesus, almost as if Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you you give up your rights. I don't know if I want to follow you. I'm not liking this give up my rights thing. Even when we get to 1 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols, he says, be careful that the exercise of your freedom, the exercise of your right, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Do I have a right to eat meat sacrificed to idol? Well, if you don't have a problem with it. But you need to give up your right. I don't want to be a Christian. I'm not giving up any of my rights. 
Paul says you give up your right for the benefit of the weaker brother. Well, I'm not used to living that way. And Mark comes along and says, let me give you some good news. Jesus has the right to tell us how to live. And that's good news. You see, as Christians, we start emphasizing our rights. And we come to church and want our rights. And our rights get in the way of our worship. And I've got the right to pick all the songs. And I've got the right to tell Rodney what to lead. And I've got the right to run to the elders. And I've got the right. And this right thing might be the wrong thing for us to be doing when it comes to following Jesus. In fact, when you read in the Old Testament, when you get to the end of the book of Judges, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did whatever seemed right. You know, if everybody does whatever seemed right, I guess that's where that word whatever comes from. You tell somebody to do something, they're like, whatever. Whatever seems right. If everybody does whatever seems right, we have chaos. If everybody does what's right in their own eyes, we have rebellion. You do realize that at the crux of the cross, at the core of the cross, the reason Jesus died, because it was because of our rebellion against the authority of God. Jesus died on the cross because we don't like following God's authority. You call that rebellion, you can call that sin, but we don't place ourselves under the authority of God. We want an available God, just you know, when we need Him. But we don't want to serve under Him all the time. So we find ourselves bowing up against some of what we read in the Bible, we sometimes turn a deaf ear when Jesus says something about money. You don't have a right to tell me how to spend my money, what to do with my money. And we bow up against that authority. We sometimes bow up when Jesus says, look, it's easy for you to love those who love you. I want you to love your enemies. Love your enemies? What right do you have to tell me? Who gives you the authority to tell me to love my enemies? We sometimes rebel when He tells us, look, stop gossiping and backbiting. Don't tell me what to do. Jesus, you're not the boss of me. And He is. And He's got the right to tell us what to do. And because of our sin and rebelliousness... So let me go back to that ski trip. Kelly and I didn't leave those college students on the side of the road. Just clear that up. What right did I have to tell them what to do? I was responsible to get them home safely. They weren't thinking about that. I had the responsibility to get them home to their parents. They weren't thinking about that. What right did I have? I had every right because I wanted to get them home safely. And the good news, I think, that Mark's telling us is that Jesus wants to get us home safely. And He's got the right to tell us how to live the journey. And yet we sometimes bow up, and we sometimes don't like that. So I ask myself, what does it mean to submit to the authority of Jesus? If Jesus is the author, if Jesus has authority over my life, if I recognize that authority, what does that mean? Well, it means I submit to His authority even if I don't agree, even if I don't understand even if it seems stupid or harsh. Let me illustrate. We will rationalize and say, you know, God calls us to submit to the authorities of the land, but what about when they're stupid? I don't have to submit to stupid. They don't even know what they're doing. Our president, our Congress, 
No, we're supposed to submit to the authorities of the land because that's what Jesus put in place. We're like, well, that's not right. When God called slaves to submit to their masters, even when they were harsh, well, that doesn't even make sense. God, why would you call people to do that? You could bring that up to date when God calls us to submit to our employers. Well, my employer's dumb. He doesn't even know how to run a business. He doesn't even know what's going on. That's not the point. God says, I want you to submit to the authorities that are in place. And when you don't submit to the authorities that are in place, you're not submitting to God. When you're not submitting to God, you're rebelling. And when you're rebelling, you nail Jesus to the cross. When God calls wives to submit to the authority of the husbands, and before the husbands say, yeah, I'm glad you got to that, how about you submit to the Lord yourself in the authority of the Lord? Maybe if you were submitting to the authority of the Lord, your wife might be a little better. When God calls children to submit to the authority of parents, my parents are stupid. Do you know my parents? They don't even let me have a cell phone. They take it away at night. They tell me what time to go to bed. They make me do my homework. I have to clean my room. What gives them the right? I just made that up. I'm sure y'all have never heard that. If Jesus has authority over our lives, we should submit to that authority all the time. We may not like paying taxes, driving the speed limit, showing up at work on time, doing what our parents ask, doing what the principal says, doing what the boss says, doing what anybody says. But if Jesus is in charge, if all authority under heaven and earth has been given to Him, then He's in charge. And the good news is, you want Jesus in charge. I want Jesus in charge. I'm glad Jesus, this victory announcement, I'm glad He defeated Satan. I'm glad He won at the cross. I'm glad He's not in the tomb. I'm glad He's not in the grave. That's good news, and it's good news for the way we live. And if we'll submit to the authority of Jesus, your lives will be better. And you will be more moral people. And you will be on a journey on your way to heaven. If you'll submit to the authority of Jesus, that's the good news. You have to come to a point in your life where you submit to the authority of Jesus. You may not now, while you're breathing on this planet, but you will submit to the authority. The Bible says every knee will bow. And if you wait till then, you don't want to wait till then. You want to submit to the authority of Jesus now. And so repentance is submission to the authority of Jesus and confession is recognizing the authority of Jesus and baptism is placing yourself under the authority of Jesus and we live each day to follow that authority of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus came to this earth, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus took our place, that Jesus paid our sin debt, that Jesus offers us forgiveness, that Jesus gives a journey and a path for us to go to heaven, that Jesus offers so much to us Why are we concerned about our rights? The good news is, Jesus has authority over everything. Everything. He's got authority over Satan. He's got authority over demons. He's got authority over everything. Isn't it time you submitted to the authority of Jesus? Instead of bowing up saying, well, I'm not going to do what he says. I'm going to rebel. I don't like what he says. This isn't a Luby's cafeteria, pick what you like religion. Jesus 
has some good news that's the best way for us to live. And the only way for you to discover the best way to live is to submit to the authority of Jesus all the time. So if you need to surrender to Jesus today, if you need to confess, if you need to repent, if you need to place yourself under His authority in baptism, if you need to respond to that good news today, it'll change your life. Do you need to change your life today? What gives Jesus the right to tell us what to do? He paid for us. He bought us. His blood paid for us so that we could have everything that we have in Him. If you need to respond to that good news today, please do so as we stand and sing. What?